This is Inglorious Trexpert, Darren Docterman. And from me and everybody at the Trexperts, we wish you a lovely holiday season and hope that you have time to spend it with your friends and family and with our wonderful swag from our various websites and our sister podcasts, Inglorious Trexperts and 430 Movie. At the Inglorious Trexperts site, that's ingloriousTrexperts.com, you can find a whole bunch of swag with our Trexperts logos and famous uh, quotes from the show and T-shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies and spatulas. No, there's no spatulas. But uh, you can get tote bags and uh, coffee mugs, all that sort of swag that uh, you've come to uh, expect from a high-quality podcast. So take a look on ingloriousTrexperts.com and also look at 430movie.com. That's 430movie.com. If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history coming out from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, pick it up today and you can learn the secrets of the Force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital hardcover, paperback, and audio. That is all. Sundays on Electric Now. Tune in to the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast with me, Yell Teagle, and my co-host, Felicia Michelle. Each week, we'll be breaking down another episode of Leverage Redemption. Plus, we've got exclusive interviews with the stars, as well as some games, and we'll even be showing off some amazing fan art. So after you watch Leverage Redemption on IMDb TV, you'll definitely want to join us here to catch all the Easter eggs and behind-the-scenes fun. The official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast. Sundays on Electric Now. If you like listening to this podcast, you'll love watching us on Electric Now, the free video streaming app featuring video versions of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts, along with full seasons of The Librarians, Leverage, the exclusive Leverage Redemption After Show, as well as Flash Gordon serials, hysterical comedy specials, and much more. Download it today from your favorite app store or watch us on Roku, Stir, DistroTV, Zumo, Sling, or Plex. Welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarletta. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Right on. Doing good. Thank you. I should note right up top here that this episode can be viewed as a follow-up to our lengthy four-part series we did a while ago on unmade Spider-Man movies, the whole journey from Canon Films up through James Cameron. So we're not going to go into any of those details there because we already did, and we recommend that you guys listen to those episodes or go back and re-listen to them. They're very fun. 
Uh, we are very excited to be joined by our guest, writer and producer, Mr. Barney Cohen. You might know him uh, from his many, many credits in both feature and television, including a uh, personal favorite of mine, Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter, and a 90s TV show called Forever Night, uh, which some people know as The Good Vampire Show. I don't know why my friends call it that, but we did. Uh, how are you doing today, Barney? I'm good. I'm good. And thank you. That was a very nice, uh, very nice intro uh, and, and correct in, in every regard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, my favorite Friday the 13th film out of the franchise. I, I will allow myself to say a lot of people tell me that. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it keeps getting better. I don't know why. Um, th- those are interesting movies because they were making essentially one a year. Uh so you kind of are tracking the like attitude of the eighties over the course of these strange movies. Um, and that one, I think kind of hits the perfect sweet spot where it was still trying to be, you know, kind of gritty before it started getting increasingly weirder and sillier as most franchises did towards <laughs> yeah. the end of the eighties. I, uh, it still gets me work. People call me up and say, you know, that was my favorite movie. <laughs> uh, and I, I will, I've been trying to get out of the, the, uh, the body count movies. Uh, but it's it doesn't work. I mean, I, I did a movie, I can say about five years ago now, called uh, Guernica, or Guernica, as my Spanish partners would say. <laughs> uh, and I thought, oh, this is great, man. This is going to get, I got nominated for a Goya. Uh, it, 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 this is great. Let's get me out of all, all of these uh, teenage witches and vampire detectives. And um, and sure enough, the doors opened. And behind every door was a guy saying, that was a cool movie. I really liked that movie. What have you got in a teenage witch or a vampire detective? Because, you know, they make money doing this. And um, so I, I've, I've learned to embrace the suck. And uh, I, uh, you know, when people call up and say, oh, my God, Sabrina, the teenage witch, so saved my teenage years. And this, by the this actually happened. Some French actors told me this. I was sliding into drugs and blah, blah, blah. And Sabrina, blah, blah, blah. And the same thing with. With Forever Night, and 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 in a way, the same thing with um, with Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter. I, I had the most interesting experience, and that Friday the Thirteenth final chapter is very new in in my career. I had been a a Madison Avenue uh, uh, creative director, and then I thought this is a stupid way to make a living, and I became a New York Times uh, journalist and some other papers and magazines, and and eventually some somebody said, "Can you can you make?" some article into a series, which a TV show, which became a CBS after school special. But that that actually led to Friday the 13th, which we can talk about the Friday the 13th final chapter. And and I started getting reviews. You don't get reviewed very much for after school specials. (laughs) So the reviews routinely were as if the reviewer had never seen the movie. They review the genre and in this case, the subgenre body count movie slasher film. But uh, I believe it was Janet Malcolm at Janet, Janet, Janet. It was some New York Times reviewer who said the same thing. And uh, but at the very end tucked in, but the kids were so person personable, it was actually a shame to see them die. And I thought <laughs> that's a rave. <laughs> For a Friday the no. 13th movie, it certainly is. Absolutely. 
Yeah, because they're they're the most likable characters in most of those films. They're they're really yeah, man. It's like you do feel for them, and I didn't realize you did after school special. Did that like help you <laughs> uh, shape those characters at all? I've been everywhere, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Z- Joe Zito, who directed um, Friday, my Friday, read a follow on script. I did. I did two. I did both for CBS. I did. Uh, and by the way, I stayed with it because I, I kept the, the journalism career going for about 10 years while I was doing it. But the television and movies pay so well. And, <laughs> uh, and uh, journalism is great. I mean, James Thurber once said a journalist can get into any living room in the world. He just can't take off his overcoat. And the truth is, who the hell wants to take off their overcoat? <laughs> you know, I, I repelled out of a moving helicopter in Operation Snow Eagle with the 101st Screaming Eagles. Uh, but at the at the end of that weekend, I went home. Everybody else had to stay. <laughs> so I mean, it's a great career. But, uh, you know, I have two kids and a family and whatnot. So I needed to make more money. So um, uh, the after school specials were Year of the Gentle Tiger, which was about judo, a subject which I know nothing about and have never played. Uh, and that followed up by the Escape from Death Valley, which was about a parts of a high school band that crash lands in Death Valley, which was a hilarious location scout, but I can't tell you most <laughs> of that story. Uh, and, and it was directed, I think, by Steve Gyllenhaal's dad. Um, and then I was hired to do an after-school miniseries called The Inside Out Clown. And uh, it was a five episodes, five half hours, uh, also CBS. And it was to follow a thing called uh, Red Hawk was in the title and it was about a kid and uh, Native Americans, something like that. So uh, Inside Out Clown was about a, uh, a a fat kid who goes to clown school. Uh, so I wound up doing location scouting in, there's not really location scouting. This is just for the writer to understand where he's at to write the script. I guess it is location scouting. So I went to places like the Sarasota Sailor Circus where they train real clowns for real circuses, learn to uh, walk a wire. Um, Wait, you learned to walk it? I did learn to walk a wire. It's all about confidence. (laughs) At at three feet, I could walk back and forth. I could carry an umbrella. At 10 feet, I couldn't take a step. (laughs) And it's the same wire. Um, So the wire wants, as they say with motorcycles, the wire wants to keep you up. Don't fight it. At three feet, easy. Um, So uh, Zito uh, read that script. And love the kids. And then I think he saw, um, I, di- I did mention before the Joe Zito, the director of Friday the 13th, final chapter. Anyway, he, he, and then I think he saw one or the other of the after school specials. And he told me a really interesting thing that, that Janet Malkin, I, I guess, was responding to. He said, look, when you, when you do these kids, don't spend a lot of time thinking of different ways to destroy them. Just make real kids that we all love and whatever we do will be horrible. So I said, cool. And uh, having not been a fan of horror since my Tales from the Crypt under the covers days with a flashlight when I was like 11, I had to figure out what Friday the 13th was about. And lucky for me, as I was still living in New York at the time, uh, on the Upper West Side, on the East Side, a trilogy of Friday the 13th was playing Friday, Friday 2, Friday 3, Friday 3 and 3D. So I get in a cab, I go across Central Park, I watch all three of these films, I come out, I get in the cab and I tell the guy, take me back to you know, West End Avenue. Uh, but halfway through 
Central Park, I realized I have to go back and watch these movies again. So when we got to um, Central Park West, I said, could you make, you know, a left, a left and left and take me back? I had closed my eyes at all the hits. I didn't see a single murder. As they came up, as the music went, wee, 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 I closed my eyes. So I went back and I kept my eyes open and I watched and it. It was, it was kind of okay. Um, and we did the movie and Zito was fantastic. I mean, he was, he was so protective of the screenplay, I can't tell you. Um, and uh, that was one of the reasons he went over budget a little bit. But, <laughs> but that's part of the reason that people like this movie. Uh, it's, uh, it's a filmmaker's movie. It, it's, not, it's not a cynical movie. How to press buttons on kids and get a couple of bucks out of them. It's a filmmaker's film. And um, and I'm probably going to go back back into it soon, but unfortunately, I can't tell you about it just yet. Okay. Uh, not not the Friday series, but another um, body count slasher thing that has a lot of interest right now. So that's that's that story. Well, really quick, to, I mean, about that, and then we'll, we can move on. Um, I was always curious because you got this you got this gig Friday the Thirteenth. Was it was it called the final chapter when you were yeah, when, when you were, were you guys told like this is it, yeah. the franchise yeah. is over. Like, how are you going to kill Jason? Was that you don't difficult? want any more money? That's what I yeah. think is funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no more yeah. money for us. <laughs> yes and no. Yes, but not at first, uh, because they had to make a deal with me, and so they didn't tell me what it was. I just said, eh, it's a slasher movie. It's like Friday the Thirteenth." So I made my deal, and um, and you, you you learn something every day. I, I, you know, you, you learn. Uh, when somebody says, okay, we'll do your number, you're screwed. So I, I, I made nice money, but I could have done a lot better. That'll take care of itself. They did not tell me that. They told me that it was Friday the 13th, the final chapter, and it really is the final chapter. We really we were out of money on this, uh, out of this bag, and we want to end it. So what, my first job was to figure out how to kill Jason so that it looked like he was really dead. Uh, and and I realized there was absolutely nothing you could do um, to convince people that he was really dead unless you took off his mask. And everybody said, yeah, because when you took when you flipped his mask off, he became more human than living dead thing. You could see him. Um, I remember you don't see him at all in, in well, you see him at the very end of, of the original Friday, but you don't see him at all in the hockey mask movies, the two before me. So we, we flipped off the mask and, and then Corey did the, did the deed, Corey Feldman. And at that, at, at, with the first, I guess the first, the first rushes started coming in. Um, they, uh, yeah, I'm an old dude. I've been around forever. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Um, they decided, okay, we're, we're going to go ahead. We're going to do it. And they were right. I mean, it made a, made a fortune uh, and I'm still making money off it. Thank goodness. And uh, so, yeah, no, they didn't, they did, but they, they kind of dribbled it out in dribs and drabs, if you know what I mean. And, I also, then, and then when they finally got it out, they told me, no, forget that. We're going to make more. <laughs> we're we're gonna make more. <laughs> yeah. uh, before we move too far away, I do just kind of want to dip back as well. Uh, what was that first job like? How did you transition from doing journalism into actually working in the entertainment business? Um, I skipped career. I, my careers kind of leapfrogged each other. I was originally a, a, a creative director for uh, both 20th Century Fox and the uh, advertising agency, Dina Hauser Greenthal, which was basically 
uh, constructed to do movie ads and play ads and book ad, entertainment ads. And I had clients like, um, like, um, uh, well, like, like, like 20th, like uh, Columbia, and then a, a, a bunch of uh, low flying uh, companies. I don't know if you remember Cinemation and um, people like that. So, uh, and, and uh, the early New Line, when, when New Line was new. Uh, so um, I had won an award for um, MASH. MASH was the, 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 the I did both um, print ideation and uh, radio and audio for, for uh, TV. But the MASH uh, print ad was uh, Victory Fingers. And this was turned into the, the southern half of a northbound lady uh, wearing, <laughs> wearing high heels. And so, and so I, I, by that time I had, um, <laughs> I had acquired a, uh, a wife, uh, who was adorable and is still my wife. Um, and she was just glowing that I did this. And it occurred to me that this is, if I'm talented enough to win awards doing this, I probably should do something more important. So a friend of mine was an agent at ICM and, um, he said, uh, have you ever done journalism? So I said, no. He said, did you ever take a course? And I said, no, but I never took a course in advertising either. And he <laughs> set me up at um, the New York Times, New York Times Sunday Magazine, with a profile of Burt Reynolds uh, in a, a movie called Parenting or Parenthood or something like that with Beverly D'Angelo uh, right after his starting over with uh, Candace Bergen and um, Jill Clayburgh. Oh yeah, fraternity. Uh, I think it was fraternity. Called. Thank you. And uh, and and <laughs> I think the headline of the article was "Is uh, Burt Reynolds the Cary Grant for the '80s?" And, and and so I started doing that, and then I became a film guy. And through the the film business, uh, through this sort of side door to the film business, uh, I was meeting a lot of people who were interested. So. Um, I, one of the people I met was Carolyn Seslick, who I loved. She was the kids and family person at um, at CBS. And one of my favorite phone calls ever was she called me up and her first words were, are your pencils sharpened? And she had a gig for me. And that gig paid about, um, I'd say, a half of a year in journalism uh, with some with t uh, top shelf banners, you know, Esquire, New York Magazine, New York Times, whatnot. So that, that's how that happened. And um, the after-school special, I wound up with uh, a guy named Dennis, the late Dennis Kane, a wonderful guy, uh, who had originally been uh, producer, director of things like Miss Teenage America and stuff. And he wanted to do a movie called French Quarter with Bruce Davison and I'm not going to remember the rest of the people. Would you look up French Quarter? Uh, and French Quarter... Oh, another funny story. I'm full of funny stories, by the way. <laughs> so I did French Quarter, which was a kind of a time slip, semi-erotic, I got an R, semi-erotic um, slice of life kind of thing. Um, and one, one day when I was at a screening, one day way later, when I was at a screening of um, a, a, mo a movie called Next Door, which was directed by Tony Bill, which is a script by me. Uh, and we're all hanging around outside in the lobby waiting for the screening to begin. And I see Leonard, uh, Leonard, Leonard Moulton, Leonard Moulton. The, the, yeah. The, yeah. So I see Leonard Moulton. So I walk up to him and I clap him on the shoulder 
and I say, hi, I'm Barney Cohen. And he went white because he thought I was going to say something about slasher films and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but it turned out that he had given French Quarter three stars and called it an undiscovered uh, classic. Uh, better than Pretty Baby, which was a big thing at the time. And I, th I thanked him for that. And it was, it was kind of right after that that, that Zito found um, Inside Out Clown. Uh, the, the entrepreneur, uh, Zito is chunky. And the Inside <laughs> Out Clown is about a kid who thought it'd be funny because he was chunky. And it sort of touched him. And, uh, and, and the rest is history. Nice. Cool. And then... Yeah. So how did because uh, we very much want to hear stories about your time, both with Spider-Man uh, <laughs> and just working with Golan Globus and Canon Films. Okay. Um, how did you know, because it seems like Zito brought you in. Yes. To them. Talk what you remember about that. They actually had a very good script, I thought, a very good script by John Brancato and a guy named Ted Newsom, who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago, or I would have him right here by my side. Um, and we were, we were, I was taxed, uh, tasked to uh, rewrite this Brancato and Newsom script, which I did. And uh, so now I will tell you my lowest point in motion picture history. <laughs> no. uh, so Zito comes to me, it was an interesting thing because they were, uh, they were in a building like a, a, a six-story building on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. I'm living in New York, by the way. I'm flying back and forth doing all well. my entire film career is flying back and forth up until this point. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and, then, and then they moved. They moved to a place uh, down on Wilshire. where the, It was a very nice new building, but the elevators hadn't put in, had been put in yet. And I have to tell you, I, I learned about Stairmaster before Stairmaster was, was invented, <laughs> because the truth is, after just two weeks, everybody looked great. <laughs> the guys, the gals, everybody looked around. So I, I'm at one of these, uh, um, I'm in the elevator, with, and Zito gets in. He says, oh, man, glad to find you. He said, they love it. We're, we're talking six picture deal. And first of all, I'm thinking this is like that old joke with first prize uh, a week in Cleveland, second prize, two weeks in Cleveland. I mean, do I, <laughs> do I really want to do six pictures with Menachem? Well, who's a, who was an interesting guy. He's also the late Menachem. Um, he, he, one of those guys who could be so kind and so cruel, like in the same sentence. Um, and they loved it. They loved it. They loved it. That night, so Zito and I go out and we're having steaks and champagne and everything. And uh, we come back and there's a guy named Pierce. I should have looked up Pierce before this call, but he was a, a, an important factotum. I think not of Menachem, but of Yoram. I think he was a money guy. And he, he motions Zito over. I walk over and he says, no, no, just Joe. And he starts whispering to Joe in a, a big enough whisper for me to hear. They hate it. I mean, they hate it. They don't know, uh, Pierce didn't know what happened. He, he suspects that that Menachem had read the first 30 or 40 pages and loved it and then hated the rest, hated it. So, um, so, I, <laughs> so I go up, uh, so I go up to my, my uh, I, I go up with them. I do what I have to do. I, I try not to look, you know, blasted. And that night I go back to the hotel, I call my wife and I say, well, I think I'm coming home. <laughs> um, so um, 
it's like the old baseball joke that the, the, the rookie keeps saying how, how great things are going. And then, then he writes home, uh, they started throwing curveballs. I'll be home on Monday. Um, <laughs> the, um, so I, I, I don't, I do not know what, what happened there. Um, however, uh, it, 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 it kept endlessly torturing me for one thing. I'd been trying to go home for the last three weeks. Uh, but they kept pointing out that although I normally would fly out to California for a day of pitching or a day of taking notes I was here until they were done with me. I was like the prisoner of the sunset marquee. <laughs> and, um, and, and I, I've been trying to talk my way home, but I was still here and I had heard all, all, all the way through. And I don't forget I'm married at this point. There's this gal who I'd seen coming and going and getting better looking on the stairs and whatnot, who was famous for sleeping with all the, 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 the writers that were taking off. So this night happens where uh, I'm told they hate it. Get out of here. Clear out your desk. And I go upstairs. At t- I had a little office. Um, and guess who walks into my office unbidden? This gal <laughs> whose name I do not remember, who clearly got the first memo, but not the second. <laughs> and she plots herself down on the floor, flashing her garters and whatnot, and starts chatting me up. And I say to her, you know, I got a lot of work to do. I'll, I'll see you around. And so, so that happened. And then, um, and then I, I finally came back to New York. They kept me there for two months. My, my kids were furious. I mean, they were little, but they weren't that little, um, which is why, actually why I live in L.A. because that happened over Christmas. So I flew them out for Christmas and they're on VIP status in um at the Sunset Marquee, swimming in the pool with, with VJs like Martha Quinn and actors like Roy Scheider. And they think California, Upper West Side of Manhattan, it was 20 degrees out at the time. Uh, they, they was, the minute they were graduated college, boy and a girl, they're out here. So I really came out here stalking the kids. But uh, so I get back home to, to New York and I'm working with a, 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 a woman who used to be, used to be, what would you call it, a music promoter. And she wanted to do a movie about uh, Bobby Darren or Connie Francis or both. And I'm still in my, I'm flogging this, this Spider-Man credit for everybody. I'm doing Spider-Man. I'm the guy doing Spider-Man. Oh, it's me. I'm doing Spider-Man. And I, I try it on her and she says, you know, they're looking for your replacement. Just like that. <laughs> like in a movie. I said, oh, well, they probably want to polish it. No, they're looking up your replacement. So, um, so whatever the um the, the replacement as far as i know became albert pun uh p-y-u-n um a korean american director who had done a movie called down twisted from menachem and was big at um low budget horror uh i guess i was big at low budget horror too because of friday the 13th <laughs> Uh, so, um, Zito had t- already told me that we got to do a rewrite, um, which I did in New York, uh, back, back and forth with him in, in, in LA, uh, to take $10 million out of what at the time was going to be a $20 million budget. I mean, we were really flying at the beginning. I don't know how, how true or deep this rabbit hole goes, but I was supposed to meet, um, Tom Cruise. This was in the risky business time period. And Tom was, Tom Cruise was going to be spidey. And so I had, I, I was not that big a Spidey fan. So I had to go read a bunch of comics right away. Um, and um, 
uh, and that that never happened. And then 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 I did do uh, I did do a thing taking roughly ten million dollars out of it. And then I heard that Pun was going to do it for two million. At which point Zito obviously left, and I <laughs> left with him. So that's 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 how that goes. That's insane. Well, uh, well, when, when Zito was hired, like he just did um, Invasion USA and Missing yeah. in Action, which was their two biggest movies at yeah. the time. And that's how because I guess first it was Toby Hooper and then Joseph Joe Zito got it. And what I love, though, this is like a little sidebar is that Invasion USA is my favorite Chuck Norris movie. It is because. Chuck Norris is Jason in it. It's pretty much a Friday the 13th movie, but That's, Chuck Norris yeah. is Jason. Whenever the terrorists about to do something crazy, he's there and he does and he takes them out like a slasher. Like the yeah. villain, the villain has nightmares of Chuck Norris killing him. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's a masterpiece. It'd be a perfect double feature. But anyway, yeah. But, yeah. but I, I, I it's interesting to have you on it and, and talk about Joe Zito. I have to bring that up because I, I love that movie. But I, I, I actually did some work on it. Oh, you did? Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm credited because I didn't do the kind of work you think I would do. They, they were. I believe in the movie there were a lot. I've never seen it, by the way. And by oh. by the way, as I was saying, I was balancing these two two careers, journalism and film. Uh, I was uh, at the time I went down to Atlanta where they were shooting to do a profile of uh, Chuck for Cosmopolitan. So the, it was a very frenzied. Uh, and what jo- what Joe wanted was uh, news for the newscasts that would be on the TV and on the radio. And, and I did I did those. It's about 10 or 11 pages of work. Uh, I got I, I'm pretty sure I don't get a credit on it, nor have I asked for one, although I, I've heard it's a very good movie. Yeah, you got to check it out. <laughs> it's awesome. It's okay. awesome. But uh, to, but I heard what happened what, with Canon was well, I've been reading this is that. So they were they were going forward with Spider-Man and then they got the rights to Superman and Masters of the Universe. And they spent a lot of money in those two movies. Ah. And when those two movies bombed, that's when they started hacking at the Spider-Man budget. Did you hear anything like that while you're at Canon or? No, again, Spielberg is right. It does begin with the word. But I have I've been on set so rarely. Because when a writer goes on set, he's done. He's finished. He's as if, it's as if he didn't exist. And all they want you to do is not kick out a plug. You know, this, so <laughs> I, you don't know yeah. any, anything about anything. Um, I didn't hear anything like that. Um, no, I didn't hear anything like that. Doesn't even jog a memory. Uh, and what about like, I also heard that, uh, I saying his name right, Golan? Golan, right? Yeah. So I heard also that he couldn't under he wasn't understanding what Spider-Man was. Didn't get it at all. <laughs> uh, he was he was he was he knew Superman and he wanted Spider-Man to be Superman. And we kept writing into stuff. You know, uh, Peter Parker is kind of a, a schlep. He's not good with women. Uh, he's not good at anything, really. Uh, <laughs> but um, and so every time we did that, Menachem would want it out. Uh, and that was that was that was a, a, a big part of it. At one point, uh, this is a story I've been told. I don't know that it's true. Uh, at one point, um, a, a meeting or a phone call was set up with Stan Lee to, to explain to him, um, you know, the comic books like the biggest selling comic book ever. Why would you want to do something different? And and he sort of grudgingly understood Spidey in that way. By the way, one of the things that that's Spidey has now is these arms that come out and whatnot. 
And that's one of the things that Malachim kept suggesting. Why didn't they turn into a real spider? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Not very appealing to me. Yeah, it's more Wolfman-like. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess that's also an interesting question. Um, what was your familiarity with Spider-Man when you got the assignment? Did you end up reading any of the comics or did you already have some awareness? Oh, everybody knew who Spider-Man was. I, I mean, and not only had been in comic books, been in several TV movies and whatnot. So we all knew who Spidey was. I, I was not, I was, I was, I, like I said, I, when I was nine, 10, 11, I would read Tales from the Crypt under, under the covers. I also read Men at War and stuff like that. But I never read superhero comics. So, you know, every once in a while when somebody asks me to do a, a seminar type thing or, or speak on something. I always tell people that the, 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 the second most important thing to write is something, you know, really well, the most important thing to write is something you don't know at all because <laughs> you learn it and you gain that excitement about it. It's all new to you. Uh, and then you hopefully convey it. Uh, yeah. I did read some Spider-Man comics. Not a lot. I, I probably read maybe 20 comics. Uh, and the most recent ones, because I figured people were going to be focused on those. Uh, and, and, and my tweak of Broncado Newsom was more than a tweak. My rewrite of Broncado Newsom uh, was based on, on, on things that I, I learned in those comics. When I did Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which was a, a, more of a, a mercantile kind of thing, I happened to know uh, Melissa, Joan Hart. And I happened to know the Archie Comics people from journalism and uh, brought her up there to uh, to do actually to do Josie and the Pussycats because uh, she was teaching herself guitar. And um, they said, oh, we just sold that uh, to that movie that uh, that Tara Reid did for Universal. Mm -hmm. They said, how about um, Sabrina, the Teenage Witch? And I went, perfect. And that's how we did that. But I had I did. I wasn't even aware that Sabrina was a comic book. So I, I asked, they gave me all the Sabrina comic books, either Holy Sabrina or one-off stories in the back of Betty and Veronica comics. I read them all and I said to them, I couldn't find an origin story. They said, oh, we never wrote one. So I said, can I do it? So that's how, <laughs> that's how that happens. So, oh, that's cool. So the, the first, the, the movie that I did for Showtime um, with Ryan Reynolds, no less. Oh, wow. Uh, he played the bad boy. Um, and Did it shoot in Canada? Is that how he yeah, wound up in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so I, I, that's how the origin story happened and all that stuff like you can't witch for love and things like that. <laughs> Wait, Steve, I'm trying to remember, didn't you tell me a story, and I might be remembering this incorrectly, that you had heard that Zito had to go visit Toby Hooper on the set of a different canon film he was making when they kind of like passed the torch? Am I remembering that right? Yeah, I read somewhere. Um, I usually have uh, where I get my information from just in case. But yeah, from going back from memory, I believe Tobu, Toby, right? Mm -hmm. I want to get killed by the horror fans. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to call him by his wrong name. I believe he was on the set of Invaders from Mars when Joe Zito went to visit him to have the tor torch patch. And I believe Toby also didn't mind. Like he wasn't really that into the project is the story but joe joe zito really wanted to do it and when you read like some of the star log stuff on him being interviewed like he was like really into this project and as barney's saying like he was really sticking with it even when they were slashing the budget little by little you know he was trying to 
do whatever. Cause I think then they moved it from, they moved it, I think into Europe, they were going to shoot it there for less money and he was still interested. And then it's kind of heartbreaking when you learn about his story, like really wanting to make this movie and Canon just, you know, I guess, you know, they're making all the, they're just making so many projects. I mean, but you would probably know better than me. I mean, it just seems like. Yeah. They had a whole bunch of fairy tales they were making. They were shooting terminal. Uh, they were shooting invaders from Mars at, at the Terminal Islands facility down by San Diego when, when I was there. Uh, when, I, when I was there writing, they were, I think, already shooting or they were in pre or something like that on uh, the Invaders from Austin. But they had a lot of Rumpelstiltskin and, and stuff like that. Uh, Menachem had some literary afflictions. Uh, it, it wasn't just uh, wasn't just Spider-Man and Superman and whatever. He, he, he wanted to do good stuff. Did they ever make any of those fairy tale movies? I'm trying to think of one. You got me. You got you look up canon and in the IMDb. Yeah. I have no idea. That, but the posters were all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the thing. They, there's so many posters out there. You just look up of movies that just they never got to make. Some thank God and others. I, I mean, I wouldn't want to say I would love to see a lot of them. Even as I'm brutal. curious what their Rumpelstiltskin <laughs> yeah. movie would have been. In, in, in those days, I don't know if they still do this, but I guess they still do this. They, they would be funded literally for a poster and a pitch. And they would take the poster and the pitch to Cannes and then, then try to raise money. Uh, I did that for, uh, did that for um, The Happy Hooker. Uh, they had done The Happy Hooker and it had done well. I believe that was Golan Globus. And uh, they wanted a, um, could have been somebody else. They wanted a, they wanted, they wanted a test. This is, what I, this is for the advertising business, not for the film business. They wanted to test some sequels. So I made, I made up three, they paid me to do three campaigns. Um, and one was Happy Hooker Goes to New York. One was Happy Hooker Goes to Washington. And one was Happy Hooker Goes to Arabia, which is about sin fuels and whatnot. It's kind of like a Bondian thing. Uh, and I think they picked Happy Hooker. I don't remember. Uh, and, um, but, but the point is, there's a, there's a Happy Hooker movie well, I think I have story credit for the uh, poster do. that I did. <laughs> oh, what a trip. I yeah. mean, uh, accurate in that sense, if that's what well, yeah, sold the, the movie. Story. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. They were looking at Tom Cruise. Who uh, Was it true Bob Hoskins was also in talks for Doc Ock? Do you that know? I, that, I would, that I wouldn't know, no. Okay, so you only dealt with uh, the Tom Cruise as Spider-Man. Didn't even deal with him. Just didn't you deal him. with them? That's what yeah, you I just had a meeting set. Didn't it didn't happen? Oh god, <laughs> yeah. Because the cat, the cast. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. Who was? I just lost my space in my paper. I had like a cast here. Oh yeah, it was Tom Tom Cruise, Bob Hoskins, Adolf Caesar, Christopher Adolf Lee was supposed Caesar. To... Adolf Caesar was a a, a real favorite of, of Joe's. And Christopher Lee was going to be in it. And yeah. Jessica Tandy was going to be Aunt May for Joe yeah. Zito's accord. Happens great. That's 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 great. I mean, um, I thought, who actually, the, the, the few things of mine that stayed in the canon are mostly in the second one, the second Tobey Maguire, because Ock was my guy. Uh, but I, I thought, who played him in the second one? Alfred Molina. Was Molina in, in the feature film? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, I, I did know that. Okay, I know that. I forgot that. 
but there are a couple of things that my don't ask me what they are they lost it to my my history but um whatever i could complain hey that's me give me credit um i think i sent you guys an article from the uh, la times about the 11 of us that all yeah i know ted newsome as well yeah uh that was a big thing trying to trying because the, the wga refused to arbitrate it right they did Is that correct? I, and they actually at the end of the day had a good answer yes you wrote it but you didn't write it for the people who made it you wrote it in what the germans call the forgangenite the forgotten <laughs> past okay for somebody else and so they knocked us all off which is fine i got paid but um but uh, talk about uh, career changes. That certainly would have been a career changer. I'm not complaining about my career. I've been blessed, <laughs> but I would have been more blessed if the if, if, but my always be more right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Steve. Oh no, yeah. Because I was gonna say, wasn't there like a crazy draft floating around with all your names on it, and then and then uh, Golan had a pen name on it also. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Golan did have a name on it. Yes, there was. That, that, I, I remember hearing about that probably from the music, uh, uh, promoter. Cause she, she, she oh, always knew a lot of this stuff. She was one of those page six kind of gals, but, and, um, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was, no, I'm sorry. What one last thing, but when James Cameron came on board, then that's when you guys all got tied up in a, uh, arbitration was that did that happen with the that? arbitration happened because ted newsom wanted to arbitrate now i was the first person he called um i did not want to arbitrate i was off already doing other things i i i, I have no rearview mirror that's why it's difficult for me to do these shows um but um yeah he, he had pointed out this and that that he did and that i changed and or i did and that he didn't do it, whatever uh, it was after Cameron. Uh, we were told, I was told at the time, probably by Newsom, that Cameron's first draft was really a spell check of my draft. And we went out with that. And then um, other people started um, working on it. But the, the movie that came out, especially, especially, like I said, the second movie, really very similar to my draft. But there was no way to get get this done I, I by that time i had a new york lawyer and he said eh, i'll do this <laughs> um so when zito finally left the project was that kind of the end of you working with canon oh, com- as well com- completely yeah yeah he was the one keeping me there don't forget they hated it they loved it <laughs> but they loved it but then they hated it so th- there was no me without zito i don't know that i would have um i'm pretty sure i would not have stayed on without Joe. Um, I certainly would have, wouldn't have, and I'm not saying anything bad about Albert Pun, but I certainly wouldn't have written for Albert Pun because he at that time wrote his own stuff. And did you and Joe uh, try and work together on anything after that, that never quite saw the light of day? Uh, Yeah, a a couple of things. Uh, There was a a war movie that we wanted to do, um, but we never got to the point of, of scripting anything. Uh, cause despite the fact that they hated it, uh, <laughs> I had really good credits and he had really good credits and we were at a time, we were, we were at a time of this industry was beautiful back in those days. I, uh, not with Joe, but I, um, I waltzed into Nickelodeon one day and said to the, to the, to the green light guy, I want to do teenage mad max. That was the pitch. I got a check. If they, if they liked you and your credits, you would get a check. 
Um, so Joe and I were doing that. We were going out and saying, hey, I'm Joe, I'm Barney, we want to do this. And it, it just wasn't happening because what was starting to happen was the bean counter revolution where you needed Boku stuff to put on people's desk before they'll even say, well, we'll, we'll give you a step deal. Uh, you know, write the first 10 pages kind of thing. Uh, so, and, and, and I, I don't speak for Joe, but I'm a pretty lazy guy. I, I've managed to lazy my way to exactly where I am today for good and ill. Uh, and so the, the idea that I would sit down and write a spec. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was the po- teenage post-apocalyptic thing, was that Doom Runners? Turned out to be Doom Runners. Uh, yeah. Uh, which uh, hopefully would have become uh, it's a couple of interesting stories attached to Doom Runners. Um, I mean, nothing bad. I wanted to go harder than Nick wanted to go. Nick, okay, here's, here's my Doom Runners story. Two, two stories about Doom Runners. One is um, the Nickelodeon people, uh, not not Alby, but uh, not Alby Heck, uh, not Alby Heck. Yeah, Alby Heck uh, told me, two, two women actually said, we, Nick is hipper than Disney. What did they mean? They meant sexier than Disney. <laughs> so uh, I went down to, I went down. I, what do you think? What do you, yeah, I guess if you're going to Sydney, you're going down from wherever you are. I went down to Sydney um, and, um, and, and pre, and they had a, uh, our, our, um, our, our, our female lead, the female version of, of Mad Max um, was a gal named Leah Moreno and she was just really hot and uh, all the guys were decked out in post-apocalyptic football come war deal uh, gear Uh, web belts and jerseys and all kinds of stuff which is cool they all look great but there's this adorable you know 17 year old girl and I said you know how come how come we covered her up like this I mean they told me hipper than Disney so I told um, the costume guy who who whose name is um, I forget, but you can look him up because he won a an Oscar for costuming two years later for uh, <laughs> um, for um, oh gosh Angus Strathy, an Australian Angus Strathy, won it for Moulin Rouge. Anyway, I said, why don't we cut her jeans at bikini length, drop them a couple of inches, and attach the bottom to the top with web belts? They said, really? <laughs> and I said, take a picture. Uh, they took a picture. Nickelodeon loved it. And the story, she kind of walked around the whole show in what looked like underwear. So, <laughs> so that was that. The other thing was um, there was a scene where the kids forage in a, uh, a, a supermarket and get attacked by a giant cockroach. Next scene, they're roasting the cockroach on a spit. <laughs> no, no, none of that. So we lost a lot of that stuff. And But even so, at the end of the day, Spielberg was interested in in a series, the Doom Runner series, and uh, and the problem with Spielberg, the only time, well, I've talked to Spielberg twice in my life. Um, this time, uh, I, I he, the story is about a bunch of kids who who go out in the post apocalypse trying with a with a map, a map of clues to find the lost city of hope. It's all a, it's a ruse because there is no lost city of hope until they make their own city of hope. But it's a dilapidated dystopian vision. It's horrible with kids in it. And Spielberg is an incredible optimist. 
Uh, I'm going to interrupt the story for a second to tell you the second time I spoke to Spielberg. And if I forget to come back, remind me to come back. I, I did a movie called uh, Next Door with Jimmy Woods and Randy Quaid and Kate Capshaw, who happens to be Spielberg's wife. So Spielberg would come to this set from time to time. So one time he came to a set and we had it in a big warehouse and we were sitting on a, a, a prop park bench talking and in walks uh, George Lucas. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there between George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. And it was like, it was like my brain was being torn apart by the gravity of the thing. And one of the, the things I learned instantly was that Spielberg is an incredible optimist. Everything's going to be better and you get better again and again and never get worse. Lucas is the opposite. So I, I mentioned this to, the, to, to my Nickelodeon people and, and they said, well, talk to him. But in fact, he really wanted to know a good reason why the Doom Runners are running around in the post-apocalypse. <laughs> and we, we went around and around for about a year and then uh, he dropped it and Lucas picked it up. Lucas produced for Nick and me a, a piece of film about 15 seconds long that just blew us away. It was animated. It was something in a style we've never seen before. And it cost way too much for Nickelodeon to do. And when they dropped it, Lucas said, eh. <laughs> and, and, and that's that. So that's the great part about this business is the ups and downs of it. And, um, and once you've got one solid up to leave behind, uh, I, have, I have more than one, but once you have one, the ups and downs are, are, are entertainment. Even the downs are, are entertainment. I will remind you to loop back to your first Spielberg story. Oh yeah. So Spielberg. Oh, I actually, I actually told it. Um, oh, you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spielberg, did when, when we went out with Doom Runners, Spielberg, the optimist wanted to, to make it a, a happy story. Doom Runners. <laughs> call it, call it a happy runners. I don't know. It would make no sense to me and we couldn't do it, but he wound up, like I said, giving it to Lucas, but that, that that's when I first met him. That's when I realized that, um, um, and by the way, he never called me up to 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 ask me to write something for him because as Kate, his wife, told me he hated this script. He really didn't want me to do it, but we did it. And that was another thing. I've I've been very lucky to have two things go out as TV movies or low budget movies that turn into series, and that's sort of my home run. Um, Doom Runners and Next Door was supposed to be that, but Jimmy Woods couldn't get away. Couldn't get. Um, along with Randy, uh, not Enmity. They just both have 60 ideas a minute and there wasn't enough time. And Doom Runners went from Spielberg to Lucas to the garbage can. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And you met Randy Quaid when you said Randy, right? Yeah, Randy Quaid. Right on. <laughs> wow. Love to see those two like arguing. Well, it, was, it, was a great <laughs> it was, it was, it was like, it was a hundred ideas a minute, two of them good. And you had to somehow keep them going, you know? And we are going to stop things right here and thank our guest, Mr. Barney Cohen for joining us. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at never made film and on Instagram at best movies, never made where we post lots of concept art and script pages and other fun things like that. I also recommend that you get the electric now app, which is a free app that allows you to watch movies and TV shows for free. And also more importantly, video of our podcast and all the podcasts at the electric 
Electric Surge Network. We'd like to thank everyone here at Electric Surge, including Bill Ritter and our producers, Mark A. Altman and Dean Devlin. Until next time, this is Josh Miller and Steven Scarlatta saying, we won't see you at the movies. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.